weeks we're going to be celebrating the event that, that is the ground of our hope, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the victory of Jesus over sin and death for everybody who believes in him. And, and that's, you know, that, that's the heart of the Christian faith, that's the heart of Christian hope. And, but for the weeks leading up to that, I want to look at some snapshots from the life of Jesus as, as he anticipated going to the cross, as he anticipated what laid ahead for him, uh, and, and as he anticipated dying so that he could conquer death on our behalf. And today we're going to look in Mark chapter 12 at what is actually the last public event in Jesus' life as Jesus was anticipating going to the cross. His last couple weeks he spent very privately with his disciples, but prior to that, the, the very last thing he had, very last uh, sort of public event was this exchange he had with some of the teachers of the law and this observe, observation he makes at the temple treasury. It's Mark chapter 12. If you want to follow along, it's printed in your program. It says, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seat in the synagogue and the place of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' homes and for a show they make lengthy prayers. And these people will be punished most severely. Then Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting money into the temple treasury and many rich people came in and threw in large amounts. But the poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. And this is God's word for God's children this morning. Now, back in the 90s, there was, there was kind of a slogan that people had, that, that a cliche that was bandied about, and it was simply this, image is everything. Remember that? It was started by uh, Andre Agassi at this, this commercial for Canon uh, uh, cameras, and and but it just kind of became this, this thing that we used to explain everything, sort of sarcastically at the time. But as time has marched on, as the decades have gone by, one of the things I've noticed is it's actually true. Now, today, it seems that image actually is everything. You know, my kids were trying to explain this thing to me. There's, there's a thing called an Instagram influencer. You know what that is? It's apparently you can like take pictures of yourself and post them online and get paid for it. And it's actually a career that some people have. But uh, you know, the, the importance of images and image in general seems to just be growing and growing all the time. And, and I think there's a truth. I mean, image is something. And uh, you, know, you notice that some, some people just look really attractive on a first impression and that, 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 that can be something that becomes part of your persona and, and I think also in whatever professional 
career you might have, uh, there's, there's an image you can project that projects competence and projects uh, responsibility and, and uh, significance within, within the context of your job. And uh, there's also the question of image in our religious lives. You know, some people know the right words to say, know the right things to do, know how to act pious, and know how to act uh, devout and righteous. And it's uh, easy to get caught up in this, and, 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 but I think there's a danger in this. And the danger is that, uh, you know, we, we start working more on image than on reality. And we get more focused on what people think of us than who we truly are. I think, you know, the danger is we become sort of like an external shell, whereas what's inside is just withering and dying at the same time. But this is actually an old issue. The big critique that Jesus had of the Pharisees, of the teachers of the law, of the religious elites of his day, is that they're... they're their walk with God, their piety, was apparently all image and no substance. Look again at what he said in verse 38. He said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in their flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues, the place of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' homes and for a show make their lengthy prayers. These people will be punished most severely. He says, you know, the, the religious elites, the really spiritual people, they wear these robes so that everybody knows who they are, so that everyone can point to them. And, and they expect everyone to talk to them a certain way and treat them a certain way. They want to be respected a certain way and they want the place of honor everywhere they go. And when they pray, they're not really praying, they're actually just performing. For a show, they make these lengthy prayers. And so they've actually forgotten the very purpose of prayer. And so the Pharisees of Jesus' day were the original people who thought images everything. And Jesus says, well, actually, you're missing the whole story. Jesus' critique of them in another place, he, he summed it up this way. Their problem with the way they practice their faith is that everything they do is done for men to see. And the heart of the message of Jesus, the heart of Jesus calling for all of us is that our, our walk with God, our faith, our religion, our piety is not something that's external that everybody notices so much as it's something internal. It's something that happens in our heart, first and foremost. And it's not a performance to impress other people so much as it is a relationship with God who is unseen. And what matters most, Jesus says, is what's going on below the surface where nobody can see. And, and I think that's important to, to remember because... You know, one of the things we see in life is that image is the easiest thing to manipulate. Some of you might remember about 10 years ago or so, and I don't remember how long ago, there, there was a show called Extreme Makeover. Not Extreme Makeover Home Edition, where they'd redo houses, but Extreme Makeover Person Edition, where they'd redo people. And remember, they take, usually they'd take like plain Jane or plain Joe, you know, a hardworking mom or, or a dad who would let himself go a little bit, and they'd... <laughs> They, some of you know these, these kinds of dads. Um, 
But, uh, and, and they'd just take them away for like a month, take them away from their family for a month, and they'd send them to exercise camp, and they'd get fit, and they'd redo their hair and their wardrobe and their makeup, and maybe get a little bit of a help from a surgeon with some problem areas if they needed it. And, and then they'd come back for this big unveiling, and they looked like a completely different person. Do you remember that show? It was really a disturbing show. <laughs> Uh, hopefully it's not on any, anymore, but it, but it just reminded me that, that, you know, in a month you can remake the external appearance of almost anybody. But the project of renewing yourself and renewing your mind and renewing your heart, that's much more difficult. That's much more of a challenge. And in the same way, you know, if you hang around churchy people long enough, you can figure out what it means to look pious and look religious, and maybe you can get the script for saying the right kinds of prayers and things like that, and, 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 and start and figure out what are the right things to do and the wrong things to do so you can just fit in. But really, what Jesus is saying is what matters is below the surface. What matters is the part that only God can see. And, and that was a problem with the teachers of the law, the thing that infuriated Jesus about the teachers of the law. And remember, the teachers of the law, these were the, pe- the only people Jesus really got mad at. Of all the people Jesus met over the course of his ministry, the people that really made him angry were these teachers of the law. He says, they walk around in flowing robes. They want to draw attention to themselves. They demand respect from everybody. They demand that everybody listen to them. And they, they, they think they're showing off by these eloquent prayers they offer. But then he says at the same time, they devour widows' homes. In other words, they think nothing of exploiting the most vulnerable people in our population. And whereas the Bible says in another place that the essence of true religion is caring for widows and orphans, these were people who, who while they acted religious, saw no problem with exploiting the most vulnerable people around them. And that's why Jesus says that their, their piety was just a show, just a sham. And Jesus says his most, uh, his most brutal critique, verse 40, these people will be punished the most severely. You know, as I've aged, one of the things that I've, I've, I've learned, and, you know, you, you kind of get... I don't want to say cynical, but you get insight as you get older. And, and one of the, thing, the insights I've had is that, that usually external appearance is actually something of a reverse indicator of what's really going on with somebody. So, for example, uh, you know, some people have, I, I've noticed, you, you know, they'll, they'll have all the trappings of wealth and prosperity all around them, and then, and then you realize that they're actually flat broke because they spend all their money trying to look rich and they've got nothing left in the bank to actually pay their bills with. Or some people put all of their effort into just looking perfect and looking exquisite and, and being and looking and dressing just what right and, and just, just having the, an appearance that's just right. But then you get to know them and you realize that's all, that's all there is to them because all of their energy, all of their efforts go into developing their appearance and they don't really think anything beyond about anything beyond that. And, you know, I think the most dangerous, though, is 
religious people. You know, when I was reading this passage, I was thinking, watch out for those teachers of the law. I'm like, wait, is that me? And then I said, <laughs> then I said no, it's obviously not me because I don't walk around in a flowing robe. So, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, uh, but the, the most dangerous area where we get caught up in, in externals is in our religion because it's the absolutely easiest thing to fake. Anybody can, can learn to say the right things, learn to do the right things, learn, learn the little ceremonies or, or things like that, and, then, and, and also learn what to be outraged about, and learn what to get angry about, and learn what to be really upset about. And once you, once you learn that, you can fit right in. And one of the things that's, that I've noticed, and if you're an observer of the news, you notice that the, the people in public life, whether particularly well, let's just say uh, particular pastors and public pastors and particular politicians who want to appeal to certain groups, they'll, they'll really start ranting away about a certain social issue, some social issue or another that, that's in the news that people are concerned about. And then almost inevitably, it happens within a matter of months, usually not years, usually it's just months, where these people are exposed as indulging in the very social issue that they're ranting about. And if you, if you watch the news, it just, it's, just, it's just so predictable. It makes me terrified to, to, make an, to, to take a stand on anything because <laughs> you wonder what's going to happen. But, uh, but, but it's something that just very predictably happens because it seems like the more passionate people get about a certain issue, the more judgmental people get about a certain issue, the more certain it is that that person is actually afflicted by that particular issue. And uh, so Jesus says, I mean, that, that's the essence of what Jesus is saying here. These people make a show of being pious, but apparently they didn't read the Old Testament, which tells us the most important part of our religion, the most important thing that God wants us to do is not to participate in all these religious ceremonies and do all these religious things, but care for orphans, care for widows, share our food with the poor, and protect the people who are the most vulnerable around us. You know, what Jesus says is the real mark of religion is how do you, how do you help the people who can't do anything to reciprocate your help? How do you help the people who you can get away with ignoring? How do you honor the people who can't demand your honor? How do, you, how do you assist the people who you could most easily take advantage of? And that's, that was Jesus' critique of, of the Pharisees, was that they, for all their religiosity, they, they felt free to go behind their back and devour widows' homes. Uh, you know, Jesus' point is that internal transformation is the only transformation that matters. There's a, there's a verse in, in Matthew 23 that's near and dear to my heart because one of the many prestigious jobs I've had is being a, a dish boy in a commercial kitchen. And, and so one of the things I really like to do is, is scrub pots. And, and in, in Matthew 23, Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean as well. You know, when, when you're a, 
a dish boy or a pot guy in a commercial kitchen, you get all these pots put in your sink and you just, you just kind of methodically work your way through them. And sometimes a pot will be, be sitting on your, on your counter and you look at it and from the outside it looks okay. Like, like uh, you know, there's not really any, anything, anything dirty on the outside. But then you look inside and there's like gravy that's burnt on and grease and meat and all, all this, this gross stuff and you're going to have to scrape all of, all of that stuff off. But the, the funny thing is when you have these pots, you could actually get away with sneaking back into the kitchen and putting it on a high shelf and no one would notice till the next shift, you know? Because it looks clean on the outside. But if it's clean on the outside and dirty on the inside, it's, it's completely useless. Right? Because the inside is the part that you actually use. And Jesus is saying that, that our, our walk with God, our religiosity is exactly the same way. If we clean up the outside, but we're corrupt on the inside, it's basically useless. Because religion isn't a performance for other people. It's about our connection, our relationship with God. And in life, you know, it's... it's you could take someone who's deathly ill, maybe someone who's struggling, suffering from cancer, and put them through the extreme makeover show and redo their hair and their makeup and their wardrobe and everything else, and they could look like completely different per people. But if the cancer's not addressed, if their illness is not addressed, then it, it really doesn't make a difference. And... So the question for us, the question for all of us is what does an authentic life look like? What does an authentic faith look like? And it comes down to who is your audience? Like that verse we looked at a little earlier. The, Jesus' main critique of the Pharisees was everything they do is done for men to see. What's the opposite of that? The opposite is when I get to the place where I say the only thing that matters is what God sees. And my life is not about impressing my neighbors or my friends or other people in church or whatever, or, t or, or trying to show other people how pious I am, but it's, my life is all about an authentic walk with a God who sees everything. And that's really the path to mental health and spiritual health and everything else, and becoming an authentic person who's actually pleasant to be around, actually a positive part of our world. I think if you're, you're wondering about what this looks like or how to do this, one of the places where the, the trail has been blazed for this, for all of us, is in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, <coughs> the psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways, and before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. And if you continue to read, I just encourage you to write, down that, write that down, Psalm 139, and, and read it on your own time. And it's all about recognizing that what matters in my life is not what my friends or neighbors or co-workers or, or other students think about me, but my life is lived for an audience of one. The only person I'm trying to impress is God himself. The person whose opinion of me matters is God himself, and everybody else's opinion is secondary. And when we start thinking like that, that's actually 
the path to sanity. That's the path to a grounded life. That's a path to a deep life. That's a path to a life where you actually are making a positive difference in this world and where people look at you and say, well, that is somebody who walks with God who I'd actually want to be like because it's not a show. It's not performance art. It's actually what you're doing. So what Jesus wants all of us to go is to, to do is to go from image to reality and to recognize the thing that's real is the thing about your life that only God sees. And that's where you've got to start. And then the rest of the things will fall into place. And the second thing I want you to see here is Jesus calls us to choose between a life of control and a life of surrender. I mean, I know a couple of you are control freaks, and uh, you know some of you are married to control freaks, but, but I, I won't ask you to raise your hands right now. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, one of the things we all want to have is control over our lives, control over our days, control over our future, and, and to feel like we've got a plan that we're going to be able to manage for these things. But... In the next paragraph, and this is the last thing Jesus observes in his public life, he's watching the rich people come to the temple and put money in. And, uh, you know, this was apparently very visible and obvious and impressive. Remember, you couldn't write a check back in this day, and they didn't have Venmo yet. And, um, and so, so if you're bringing money to the temple, you were bringing coins. And, and I'm not sure how it worked, if, if you just stood, if there was like a slot and you just would, would stand there and, and put all of your coins one by one, or if there was like a bucket and you just, just take your bags of coins and throw them in. But, but apparently it was something people would watch, particularly as the rich people came through and, and had bags and bags of, of, of money that they put in, in the um, temple treasury. And... And, uh, but, and everybody was impressed because these rich people were coming in and doing this. You know, you know like we're all, we all have this fascination with the uber-wealthy around us. But Jesus isn't impressed. He says, you know, these people have so much that in relative terms, their, what appears to be a gener uh, generous gift has no impact on their lifestyle. It's not really a sacrifice for them because they've got more than they need. There's no faith involved in them making a gift is just a little charitable contribution. And sure, the temple treasurers noticed their gifts and were hoping, oh good, Mr. Smith is here. We're, we're going we're gonna to make budget this week. But, but, the, uh, but Jesus is not impressed at all. But here's the thing you want to see here. Jesus noticed somebody who nobody else noticed. Among all the high rollers coming up with their big heavy bags of gold and dropping them in the treasury, a little old lady got online with them. And she wasn't flashy, she was, she was plainly dressed, she was, she was very easy to ignore, but, but she got online and she dropped her two pennies into the treasury and she went on her way. And Jesus saw her. Jesus noticed her, and Jesus was impressed with her. And he says to his disciples, from his point of view, she gave more than the rich people gave. Even though, from the temple treasurer's point of view, her gift made no impact on the bottom line of the temple's budget, from Jesus' point of view, 
her gift mattered the most because she was actually sacrificing. She was actually living by faith because she put the last of her funds into the treasury. And her gift matters more. See, what we see here is a picture of the difference between control and surrender. When we have the resources, when life is going well, we try to take control of things. We try to take control of our health, take control of our careers, take control of our personal budgets, take control of our plans for the future, and feel like if we, could just, if, if we can just control everything, then things are going to come out the way we want them to, to happen. But then, in other times in life, we kind of lose control, or we start to realize that control is an illusion because we actually don't have control over our tr health, and we don't have control over our careers, and we don't have control over our families and our budgets and all of these things. They're actually way beyond our control. And when we start to realize that, that's when we start to live by faith. And this poor lady, this poor widow, knew what it was to live by faith. She knew what it was to be a person who was surrendered. And when it came time to bring her offering to the temple treasury, she didn't want to be excluded. She wasn't ashamed to bring what she, she had to offer. She, you know, I, 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 one thing I appreciate about this lady is she had this boldness. She got right in line with the millionaires and said, I'm going to make my offering just like they're going to make their offering because this is what I have to give. And so she got online, she made her offering, and she said, well, I live by faith every day, and God's going to have to provide me with my daily bread today and tomorrow, and I'm not going to pretend that I have control of these things. And so that's an inspiration for all of us. You know, one of the things that's very interesting, you know, there's, there's actually a lot of studies that are done of, of charitable giving and, and things like this. And one of the things that, that, that is true in all these studies is it turns out, ironically, the more, the more our income increases, the less we tend to give as a portion of our income. Uh, you know, uh, obviously someone who's, who's worth millions and millions of dollars can give a couple percentage points away and, and it makes a big impact on, on an organization. But, but the reality is, it's the people who have the less, the least, who are reflexively the most generous and who tend to give the largest portion of their income and their assets away. And the reason for this, it seems to be, is that when you've got a lot, then your wealth becomes the, the basis for your security. It becomes it becomes the thing that provides you with your identity. And when you don't have a lot, you find another basis for your security, you find another basis for your identity. And so it's more reflexive, it's more easy for you to give, give away what you do have. In Proverbs 18:11, it puts it this way. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it's a wall too high to scale. See, we're all trying to find a way to build our own fortress, to protect our own lives, to control our own future. And one of the illusions that, are, that, that has always been the case for humanity is that money gives us control over our futures. Now, those of you who are neurotic, and you know who you are, you know that this is just an illusion, just a little 
a little hiccup in the market or some politics, some dirty politics at your place of work or a little change in the economy and all of your plans can, can come crashing down or more to the point, you can be going through life and just uh, one clogged artery and all of a sudden all the money in the world doesn't matter anymore. But we want that control. We want to believe that, that we have that kind of control. The call that Jesus makes on our life is to, to say that what God gives us is what really matters, and the way of Jesus is the way of surrender. God calls all of us to live a life of surrender. God wants all of us to learn a lesson from this widow who, out of her poverty, gave in everything, put in everything, all that she had to live, live in. And now this sounds crazy, probably to, to a lot of you, to live a life of surrender. But let me tell you, it's actually the only way to live. The only way to live is to learn how to live a life of surrender, to recognize that God's in control and whatever plans you have are just a source of some entertainment for God. You know the old saying, if you want to make God laugh, show him your plans. And, uh, and, and, and let me just uh, give you give you some advice. I mean, um, with a few notable excep exceptions, all of you are young and beautiful. And, uh, and, and when you're young and beautiful, you, you know, you think you can put together a plan and, and uh, follow it and, and, and make your life come out the way uh, you want it to. But let me tell you, here's the thing about life that I've observed, is life actually gets harder as you get older. Anyone want to say amen to that? Uh, <laughs> life gets harder as we get older. And, and sometimes, in spite of our best efforts to control life, life gets out of control. In spite of our best efforts to manage life, life becomes unmanageable. And when that happens to you, if you don't die, you might find yourself in a room with a bunch of other people who have a similarly unmanageable life and you'll be introducing yourself to them and saying, I've realized my life has become unmanageable. And they'll, they'll walk you th through something called the 12 steps. Have you heard of the 12 steps? It's, it's become, it went from being something that was just for alcoholics to, to a recognition, really, that, that everybody's life has different kinds of problems, different kinds of compulsions that we have to address one way or another. But you know what the 12 steps are? A lot of people... Uh, have heard of the idea, but you know what it actually is? The first one is just a, recogni a recognition that my life is unmanageable, that I cannot control my life such as it is. And, and have you ever felt that? Okay, you're, you're, you're at step one. And then, and then step two is recognizing that, that there is a God who oversees all of this chaos. And then step three is simply this. I surrendered my life to God as I understood him. I took that step of surrendering my life to God. And that, that what the people, what, what psychologists who, who lead people through this process have recognized is that this is actually the key to mental health. Because see, all of us want to be control freaks. All of us want to control our schedule for the day, for the week, for the month, and, and control where our career is going, control our kids, control our spouses, control our parents, and control 
everything around us, but really, that's crazy. The only way to become sane is to get to a place where we're able to surrender to God and ask him to take control. And, uh, and as long as we resist this and hold on to this illusion of control, that, that's where life starts to become unmanageable and we find ourselves getting caught up in all kinds of compulsive behaviors that actually make things worse. And the path to mental health, the path to spiritual renewal starts with surrender. This poor little old lady who dropped her pennies into the temple treasury, she's a model for all of us because she was willing to surrender and able to trust in God alone for her future. And that's the heart of what the gospel is all about because at the heart of the gospel, we see our Lord Jesus Christ. And no one was ever more beautiful than him. No one was ever more powerful than him. No one was ever more in control than him. And yet the story of the gospel is that he laid aside his power, his beauty, and his control, and he surrendered himself. He gave himself. In Isaiah 53, it describes his transformation this way. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, and there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from, peop from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He surrendered his glory, surrendered his image, surrendered his beauty, surrendered his control so that he could redeem us. He humbled himself so that he could rescue us. He was despised and rejected so that we could be embraced and included if we will simply surrender ourselves to him and rediscover our true identity as those who belong to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that he was willing to surrender for us. And I pray for everyone here as we struggle to control our lives and control our plans and, and manage the unmanageable that's all around us. I pray that you would move us to surrender to you and to simply open our hearts up to receive that, the good gifts that you would give us. We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.